Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. Hey, it's good to be back. For those of you guys who have been gone with me, this is my first time to preach here in about a month. So I want to extend a big thank you to Chris for doing a phenomenal job. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, uh, what an amazing addition to our team uh, the odds have been. Well, right off the bat, let me just say Merry Christmas. Uh, Christmas is just the best time of year. Can I get an amen? Uh, nothing better than Christmas. I love Christmas. And one of the things I love about Christmas is receiving gifts. Um, that was, I do actually love that, but that's not what this is about. What, one, of the, one of the main reasons that I love Christmas is that there's this thing that happens in people's hearts that maybe even are far from God. They begin to ask questions that the season of Christmas brings up naturally. Like, what, what, is, like, what is this thing called Christmas? Why do we do it? Who is this Jesus guy? What, what is the manger scene? And I have found time and time again that this is a season where people begin to ask questions about relationship with God. And so what we want to do is make it as easy as possible for you to invite your friends. We know so many of you are believing uh, for encounters with the living God, with Jesus, with your family or maybe your friends that you work with. And so when you came in, I believe you got a little invitation for our Christmas Eve service. And, and my encouragement to you is, is not to hang on to that. Uh, but to give it to somebody. Invite them to come. Maybe you're not even going to be here, but still invite them and say, hey, you know what? What are you doing on Christmas Eve? You're going to be around Austin? You should go check this out. It's going to be an amazing time. Of course, it's going to be a family-friendly environment so they can bring their kids. Uh, the kids are going to have a great time. But what is going to happen, guaranteed, is we will share the gospel and people will get saved. Amen? And, and so we want to encourage you to jump in with us and, and let's really dream together about what it would look like on Christmas Eve, 4.30, that we pack this place out uh, and give God just an incredible opportunity to do more than we can ask or imagine. But this season uh, is doubly rich this time around because um, we are right in the middle of this transition, really in the beginning of this transition, of launching our South Campus, which is so exciting. Uh, and if you didn't shout, I'm going to give you another opportunity uh, to shout because it's that good a news. We are in the beginning of launching our South Campus. That is a little bit better church. And um, it's just been an incredible time. And that's actually where Liz and I have been over the past couple of weeks. We've done some traveling and then we've been down there uh, building that team and, and engaging with their leaders. And I just want to say, guys, God, God is doing something really unique and really beautiful. And, and there's going to be some amazing opportunities for us to partner together um, in really seeing that South Campus launch. And there's going to be a ton of information coming at you over the next few weeks. A lot of that stuff will start past Christmas. But we just want you to know uh, that it's happening, it's exciting, and also remind you that on December 30th, everything changes. Say everything changes. December 30th is when our service time will shift to 11 a.m. here at the North Campus. Okay. So we're going to have a 9 a.m. service at our South Campus and an 11 a.m. service here in our North Campus. And the reason why we're doing that is because we are one church in two locations. We're one church, same heartbeat, same vision. And, and so to do that, we want our teams to be able to be at both spots. 
and we feel like God has given us this really cool opportunity to, to kind of dream with him into a really new way of doing a multi-campus model, and, and we couldn't be more excited about it. We need you to be a part of that, so be praying for us, uh, but exciting things happening. All right, well, we are in our Advent series. Advent means arrival. How amazing of a job did Chris do last week talking about that God was motivated out of love. I want to say this, that he uh, wanted you to remember it so bad that he had his oldest son pass out in the middle of his message. <laughs> Truthfully, uh, Micah is doing fine. For those of you guys who didn't know what happened in the middle of Chris's sermon, Micah literally passed out as he was running the camera in the back. Chris witnessed the whole thing, and somehow he uh, held it together and finished an incredible message. And as a father, I just want to say, well done, bro. Well done. Uh, I don't think I would have been able to do that. But the, the, the real crux of his message was that God was motivated out of love. Jesus came. The arrival of Jesus was motivated out of love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And Jesus was compelled by love to arrive into our mess. And here's what's the beautiful thing about relationship with Jesus is that his love for us gives us an opportunity to be redeemed by him. And although he was compelled by love, it is his love that then compels us. To engage into the mess around us. That we are celebrating in this Advent season. That we have a God that loves us. That came to engage with us out of love in the mess and chaos of our lives. And then heals us. Puts us back together again. And sends us to then be his hands and feet. To continue to see that story shared all over this city and around the world. And today, we're going to be taking another step in this Advent season, and our launching point for that is going to be Isaiah 9. If you have a Bible, I want you to make your way there, Isaiah 9. Um, we're going to start in verse 6. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Can we all just say that part together? Right, here we go, ready? Prince of peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. I want to talk to you this morning on the topic of disruptive peace. Disruptive peace. You know, growing up, I got to do a lot of really fun things with my grandpa. We called him Papa. My mom's dad, he was kind of that all-around Mr. Fix-It guy, outdoors guy. And we got to do so many cool adventures with him. As we got older, we became his workforce. And so there were many summer mornings where we would hear his big diesel truck rumbling in the driveway like 6 a.m. And me and my brother would come out of our rooms and look at each other and say, you know what? Whatever plans that we had for today have now been changed uh, because we are going to be doing some job that Papa has signed us up for. But sometimes he would come pick us up and it wouldn't be work. He would take us on these incredible adventures and, and we would go fishing a lot he loved to fish we loved to fish and we would go sometimes fishing in the the shipyard in Houston 
And it's a really great place to fish because there's these like deep cuts where they would park the ships when they're like being worked on and they're important stuff. And, and they're really deep, but they're kind of protected from the wind and the weather. And so you can be in there and just the fishing is incredible. And we would go on these fishing trips and no exaggeration, like catch hundreds of gulf trout and flounder and even these like little bitty sharks. It's like the coolest thing you could be a part of as a kid. You know what I mean? Like fishing is about catching when you're a kid. You know, it's not about like the sport of the cast or like the lure you're working. It's about, I want to reel something in. You know what I'm saying? So we would go on these trips, and there was this one cold morning where he came and picked us up, and we were just having a blast in the truck. It's him, my Uncle Gary, and my younger brother Jake, and we're heading down eating donuts, having a great time, and it's a freezing winter morning. We get there, we get the boat all launched in, and the weather actually was great. It was cold, but it was calm, and we made our way into the shipyard. We're in these deep cuts. We're fishing, and we're just slaying them, man. Like, we are having a blast, great time. We start hearing the wind whistle over the top of these deep cuts that the ships would park in. And so, you know, we didn't really pay no mind because where we were, it was completely calm. Like, there was not a wave. It was just like glass. Like, you could water ski. It was just like perfectly smooth. And so as it came around lunchtime, we got there really, really early. And so my grandpa was like, hey, guys, why don't we just call it a day? We caught a bunch of fish, and let's go get something hot to eat. And me and my brother were like, absolutely. That sounds fantastic. And so we start cruising our way back into the actual bay itself. And when we break past the coverage that we had between these big, deep cuts in the land, it was absolute pandemonium. Four to five foot swells, rain coming sideways. It was absolutely insane. Now, we're not in some big bay boat, all right? We're in like a little bass boat. Now, if you don't know a lot about boats, a bass boat is like made to go fast on a lake with no waves, okay? There's like literally like a, a foot of wall between that separates you from the abyss of the ocean, okay? Now, a bay boat is like huge. You stand in it, you hit these big waves, it doesn't even matter, but that's not what we had. We had this little bass boat, and my Uncle Gary is navigating this storm like a stinking champ, and we are on top of these swells, like turning and dipping and diving and just like all this other kind of stuff. It was crazy waves crashing over us. We were freezing. It was unbelievable. You want to know something crazy? I had no idea until years later that our life was actually in danger. I was 100% clueless that I could have died in that moment. We actually were telling this story just a few years ago when we were all together, and my Uncle Gary was like, oh, my gosh, dude, I was terrified. I thought your mother was going to kill me because that boat was going to flip over, and you and your brother were going to be lost at sea. And I'm like, really? <laughs> but here's why. I was not scared at all. Not one bit of fear. That boat was, was, was filled with laughter and joy. Not because I'm a fearless person. Actually, I'm a fearful person. You get to know me a little bit, you will know I'm scared. I scared a cat. My kids love to scare me. Like, I don't do well in fear. I don't like the dark. Like, I'm not like a tough guy. Okay? And, and so, like, and I was fearless in this moment. And, and I remember thinking when I found out that our life was in danger, I was like, you know what? It was because of who was in the boat with me. Like, I had so much confidence in my papa and my Uncle Gary that they were going to take care of me, that they weren't going to put me in a dangerous situation, that they had my back, that, that literally a situation that should have been terrifying was so fun. Like same storm, 
But who was in the boat with me changed how I saw what was happening around me. And, and here's what I kind of want us to, to, to really lean into is that you could say that when the storm kicked up, its attempt was to disrupt my peace. But who I was with disrupted my fear. Can I say that again? When, when the storm kicked up, it attempted to disrupt my peace. But, but who I was with disrupted my fear. And, and I'm here to tell you this morning that there is nothing that can happen to you, come against you, attack you, or happen in you that can disrupt your peace when you know who is with you. That there is no circumstance, there's no difficulty that can steal away your peace when you know who is with you. Jesus came to disrupt the chaos of our world, disrupt the chaos of our lives so that we can experience the disruptive nature of his peace, which ultimately is his presence. He's the prince of peace, and there's no end to his Reign, and there's no end to his control. To be with him is to be surrounded with peace. There's no weapon formed against us that will prosper. There's nothing that can happen, no circumstance that will have power to disrupt our peace, steal our joy, or take our hope if we know who's with us. If you have a Bible, I want you to make your way to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 8. Some of you will know this story. If you're new to the Bible this morning, let me take you into the scene that we're about to enter into. The people of Israel found themselves at war with a group of people called the Arameans. And they were from what is now known as Syria. And their king was looking to ambush Israel, which were the people of God. And we're going to enter the story when this king's plans seem to not be working the way that he hoped. Let's read, starting in verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such a such a place. And the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on that place indicated by the man of God. And time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. Can I just say, is there anyone thankful that the Holy Spirit will warn you of the ambush of the enemy? That we can walk with God and have a relationship with him in such a way that we can literally hear his voice just like Elisha heard his voice here. And we can hear God say, don't go there because there's a trap there for you. Don't, you need to stay out of such and such a place. Because if you try to go into that place, you're going to encounter a, a challenge. You're going to encounter a difficulty. You're going to encounter something that's going to test you. And I want to protect you. Are you thankful for a God that wants to protect you? For a God who's so keen on your peace, so keen on you thriving, so keen on the hope of heaven being alive in you that he will speak into the details of your life to keep you out of such and such a place. 
to protect you, to fight for you. We go on, it says, this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and, and demanded of them, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord and king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. And they reported back, he's in Dotham. He sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. And they went by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. And the servant said, oh, no, my Lord, what shall I do? We need to understand that our peace is under constant assault. Our peace is under assault. There's nothing that the devil wants more than for you to be anxious about everything. That there's an assault, there's an attack, there's a plan that, that wants to disrupt your peace, wants to disrupt your hope. It wants to bring fear, bring anxiety. Look, take the devil out of it. We live in a society, in a culture that is anxious about everything. Like we worry unlike any other generation before us. We worry about things that probably will never happen. We will be buckled in fear about situations that are in a 1% chance of happening. People not letting their kids play outside because they're scared they're going to get kidnapped when that is like 0.0000000001% of what happens. But it doesn't matter because the fear is real. Because the devil wants to assault our peace. But understand me, it's that he's not trying to just make you uneasy. He actually is attacking the presence of the Prince of Peace. Are you seeing where I'm going? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. There is no end to his government. In his reign, there will be no end to his peace. Therefore, if the devil is attacking your peace, ultimately he is trying to disrupt your ability to connect with the presence of the Prince of Peace, to divide you from living within the kingdom of heaven where there is no reign that is not peaceful. To be with Jesus is to experience a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so in this assault to disrupt our peace, our way back is to acknowledge that Jesus is actually in control. It's Jesus that's in control. It's God that is in control. Our way back in times of anxiousness and fear and peacelessness is to surrender to the reign of God. I mean, let's just keep it real here, right? Because we lose our peace when we feel like we're losing control. Have you encountered this? In situations where you feel out of control, do you feel peaceful? And the whole church said, no. Right, when we're losing control, we are losing our peace because they are connected to one another. Because to be in control is to be peaceful. Am I talking to anybody? But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. 
And our way back in our anxiety and our fear and our peacelessness is to surrender that he is in control. When I surrender to the reign of God, the greatness of his government and the peace that will be no end, then I can experience a peace that transcends understanding. This is what Paul is writing about in Philippians 4. Paul says that there's a peace that transcends understanding. What he's saying is, is that I should not be peaceful in the situation that I am, but I know that God is in control. Therefore, I can experience a peace that makes no sense. It, it transcends understanding because it's a surrender to the God who is in control, the Prince of Peace, a, the, the one who has no end to his reign, and surrendering to him being in control, I will experience a peace that transcends what, sh excuse me, what should be happening, what I should be experiencing. And so when the chaos is all around me, and I know who is with me, when the chaos is around me, and I know who is with me, that brings a peace that disrupts my fear. When the chaos surges around me, and I know who is with me, it disrupts my anxiety. It disrupts it. It intervenes in it. It steps in and says, this is not for you to carry. And so surrender, I am in control. And there's no end to my reign. And when we surrender, we find the rest in the God of Romans 8.28, which says we know that in all things, God will work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You know, growing up, I played sports, wasn't very good at them, but I had a lot of fun trying. And my dad was like the greatest sports dad. Like he was at everything, supported everything, was just like the biggest cheerleader you could ask for. And he actually was super pushed by his dad. And so his kind of internal commitment to us was like, I'm never going to push you guys into playing anything and doing anything. But his only requirement was that when we started it, we had to give it everything we had. That was it. No quitting, no giving up in the middle. You don't ever have to do it again. But for this season, you're going to sell out. You're going to give it everything that you have. And so I lived in this incredible environment where I had, like, the freedom to enjoy the sports that I was doing. And, like, my dad was a part of it. And it was a ton of fun. It was a ton of fun. Loved it. Now, I wanted to create that same environment for my kids. And you guys know this. Like, we've got four kids. And they play sports. They do the athletic thing. And it's great. I'm like a glorified Uber driver that doesn't get paid. And, and so, like, we're, you know, driving all over the city, dropping kids off at practice, picking other kids up from practice, you know, and just doing the whole thing. And, man, we have a blast doing it. It has been so fun. Man, I love it. I love every single day of it. It is so cool. Even on the days that are just like, how are we going to figure this out schedule-wise? It's still a joy because my kids are having so much fun, you know. And if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. It's like when you see the joy on their faces of just getting to, to be on the field and to play. It's just great. And they're learning great lessons, like how to be on a team and what it feels like to lose and how amazing it is to win and, like, all, just all of these things that are hard to kind of explain. But when you experience them, you're like, man, that's it. You see them learning lessons and growing. But I got to be real with you. This 
Football season was very challenging on me. Extraordinarily challenging on me. I'm one of Tate's football coaches. I, I coach on, on his team, and I have, like, you know, no responsibility and no authority. I'm just kind of there, which is kind of how I like it. You know what I'm saying? Just show up and be like, yeah, what's up? Let's go. You know, headbutt a couple kids. You know, they love me. No real responsibility, though. Just get to kind of hang out. And But this year, as Tate's getting a little bit older, he is emerging as a little bit of a stud quarterback. And I just want to say he looks good doing it. We got a little photo of him. How good does that kid look right there? How good does that guy look? He looks real. That's right. But I have to be honest with you that I um, was so stressed out as the dad of a quarterback. Even in Little League football, I was losing my mind. Okay, y'all going to think I'm exaggerating, but you can ask Liz about this. This is so legit. All right, now, now Tate's coach is amazing. He's one of my good friends. We even hung out this week. I love the guy. And, and he was really hard on Tate. And he would push him. And as he was doing that, Tate was getting better and growing and growing into the role. And he was, like, really testing him and giving him difficult situations and having him have to figure it out and own when he did well and own when he did not do well. But as a dad, I'm like, oh, I'm like feeling everything, right? I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm like, and I can see when it's hard on him. And I kind of want to be like that helicopter dad that like dives in. It's like, you don't know how to talk to my son, you know, but you're like, you can't do that. You just have to be like, come on, bro. You know, like just like cheer him on from the sideline. And I am having just mental breakdowns. And there was one night where the pressure was so intense. I'm not joking. I couldn't sleep. I'm, I'm tossing and turning in bed. I'm freaking out. I'm just like, oh, my gosh, all about how Tate's going to perform at practice. I remember getting out of bed, going into the living room, and literally saying in a laughing prayer, God, surely my soul is stronger than Little League football. <laughs> We've been through some stuff as a family, man. Liz's stroke, adoption, and Little League football is taking me out. I'm dying from anxiety, having meltdowns because of Little League football. And we're winning, and we won the championship, and Tate's doing well. And I'm still just, like, in full panic mode. And I remember just, like, walking around in my living room just being like, oh, my gosh, God, like, you have to help me. I I'm embarrassed to even ask for help. It was like I was having a conversation with myself where I'm like, I know this does not matter, yet it feels like it matters. the Holy Spirit just awakening my heart and saying, J.D., you feel surrounded because you feel out of control. And so really I was asking the same question that Elisha's servant was asking, oh no, what do we do now? And Elisha's servant had seen God do amazing things, deliver them, keep them out of situations, do incredible miracles, yet he found himself facing what he never thought that he would, something that had the potential of crushing him. And his response was, oh no, what do I do? And I felt like that was exactly how I was feeling and how I was responding. And I was like, oh no, God, what do I do? I feel surrounded. And it was just in the sweetness and tenderness of the Holy Spirit, Jesus spoke to me and he said, J.D., who's in control of Tate's life? He's like, well, who has a plan to prosper him and not to harm him, to give him a hope in the future? And I'm like, you are. 
He's like, I'm in control. Your job is to be a great dad. My job is to control his destiny. And even just as God was speaking to me, and then he started declaring, like, God, you are in control. You are in control. This weight, you know that pressure when you feel like your circumstances are surrounding you? You, you know that suffocating feeling when you feel like you're overwhelmed by the things that are happening around you? Like, that just began to kind of leave a little bit as I was surrendering to the Prince of Peace. As I was entering back into the reign of God, the government of God, that there is no end to his peace. As I was surrendering to his reign, I began to experience what it felt like to stand next to the one who gives peace. Jesus said, my peace I give you, my peace I will leave with you. And so I had to remind myself that God was in control. Even in the middle of the Little League football, something that does not matter, that we're not even going to remember, God's in control. God is in control. And I love this because Elijah looks at his servant who just said, oh no, what are we supposed to do? What, what now? And he says this, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, the prophet answers. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord. Open his eyes so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You see, the servant could not see. But his eyes had to be opened to see that actually in the circumstance that felt like was out of control, God was in control. The God, the Prince of Peace was with them. See, you can go through anything that's trying to disrupt your peace when you know who's with you. When you know who's with you, it doesn't matter if it looks like you're surrounded because you know who is with you. It doesn't matter when it looks like the waves are going to crush you because you know who is with you. It doesn't matter if you feel like the anxiety is too much for you because you know who is with you. Am I talking to anybody this morning? My prayer is that we leave this place saying the same thing. God, open my eyes. God, open my eyes. In this situation, in this circumstance, I feel like I'm surrounded, that my peace is gone, that I can't make it anymore, that I'm saying... God, you are with me. You're in control. And, and there's no end to your reign. There's no end to your government. There's no end to your peace. Therefore, I can say this is trying to disrupt my peace, but I serve a God who's with me that is here to disrupt my fear, that Jesus is here to disrupt your anxiety. And so, look, here's what I want us to do. If you are ready for your eyes to be opened, if you're ready for the circumstances to fall in their proper place, that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding to rule and reign in your heart and in your mind, I want you to stand to your feet and I want you to begin to declare, God, open my eyes. God, open my eyes. Begin to lift your voice because God is here. Begin to lift your hands because God is here. Open 